This podcast is brought to you by Charles Kahn, the co-author of a new book entitled Bulletproof Problem Solving, The One Skill That Changes Everything. In Greg's interview with Charles on podcast number 717, they discuss how critical thinking and problem solving skills are a must for the 21st century if you are going to succeed in business. Things are just moving too fast in our business world today, and possessing problem-solving skills and critical thinking skills is a real advantage to propel your business forward. Listen to podcast number 717 with Charles Kahn as him and Greg discuss the seven steps of bulletproof problem-solving. I hope you enjoy this informative interview with author Charles Kahn on bulletproof problem-solving in podcast number 717. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me today from Brooklyn, New York is Kanwar Singh. And Kanwar is also known as Humble the Poet. And he has a new book out called Unlearn, 101 Simple Truths for a Better Life. Kanwar, good day to you. How are you doing? Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we appreciate you being on and uh, spending a little time with our listeners in our community. We were just talking about that before we got online. And your book is an easy-to-read book, just so I let everybody know. This is a Harper One book. Um, very easy to read, 101 little quips and uh, truths about life and ways that you can live your life. It's very cool. Uh Kangwar, I'm going to let people know just a tad bit about you. Uh, he, is, uh, he was born from a crowdfunding self-publishing work and subsequently available in his native Canada, Humble the Poets, Globe and Mail bestseller, Learn 101 Simple Truths is for a Better Life. And that is the book that we're going to be speaking about. Hey, uh, Kangwar, would you, if you would, Give our listeners just a little bit of background about yourself because you've got a YouTube channel at www.humblethepoet.com. You've also got another website up there as well. Um, How, you know, how did you come up um, with this name, Humble the Poet? And what is it about humility that you want the world to know? Um, I I grew up in a Sikh heritage. So my parents uh, immigrated from. Uh, India, uh, North India, and Punjab in the 1970s. So my father and my mother, uh, they had an arranged marriage in Canada, uh, but they both had come from Punjab to get married in the 70s. And then I was born and raised in Toronto. And, and you know, Punjabi is a language. Uh, Punjab means the area of the five rivers. And, you know, we prescribe the Sikh heritage. Our, our heritage is a philosophy um, that... Um, you know, it's very cyclical and, and it's very similar to, you know, most popular ideas of, of, of Buddhism or Hinduism, etc. But with Sikhi, you know, we identify certain things as like, you know, the um, challenges towards our peace. And the biggest one is our ego. So our ego kind of gets in the way most often when we're trying to be happy and peaceful. So uh, I name myself humble uh, based off of that. And then uh, I'm a big fan of hip hop and I'm a spoken word artist and a rapper as well. And I want to elevate, you know, the written word, uh, especially in the hip hop space. So I call myself the poet, acknowledging that all rappers are really poets and, uh, you know, they're really pushing literary art to the next level. 
And when did you start uh, all of this? Uh, where you started reaching out because your your um, YouTube channel is loaded with videos, um, and you've got uh, one particular video that kind of sets it off for Humble the Poet. Um, and uh, it's it's a very unique video, by the way. Um, and congratulations on that. And you now have you know um, almost two hundred thousand followers on that. How long have you been at this? And 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 what are you the message that you want to get out to people through um, not only this book but those videos? Um, I've been I've been making videos for for a long time, and I've probably been regularly posting YouTube videos for about three four years now. And um, I've been on the journey as humble the poet probably for almost ten. And um, I think the message I'm just trying to get across to the world is you know be you know, continually work to be your most authentic self and perfect the art of being yourself. And, you know, that comes to, you know, self-awareness. And, and if you want to be happy in life, then, you know, you have to practice gratitude and really encouraging people to ask more questions, to spend more time trying to understand life, to try to understand themselves, to try to understand the circumstances and much less time judging situations and things. And, really taking deep dives into who we are, where we learn. And the book Unlearn came from that. It, it came from the fact that, you know, during my most challenging times, I didn't have to acquire new pieces of knowledge or wisdom. I had to let go of outdated ideas, outdated expectations, beliefs, and values. And uh, I wrote Unlearn to encourage people to kind of do the same. So I'm not telling you what to believe or what to think. Uh, I'm just encouraging you to ask certain questions so you can come to these conclusions by yourself, for yourself. You know, life isn't one size fits all. And I think the challenge is when we try to live according to somebody else's template or according to some other society's beliefs or values, especially if they don't agree with our authentic self. Well, and I think the issue, and most of my listeners are on a path of personal growth. They're hungry for learning about their spirituality and learning about how they can do it. And one of the things that uh, comes up for me is just the self-talk. Um, and, you know, you address that in a way throughout the book because it's, I've watched a couple of your videos. It's almost like the negative self-talk, you know. Um, mm -hmm. What advice would you give to people who literally are having a challenge with um, negative self-talk about themselves and others because they're constantly judging. They're judging themselves. Um, they're saying that their ego is telling them they're not enough, uh, that they have to be more. And the whole concept of not enoughness is pretty prevalent. Um, you know, where would you tell people besides looking inside themselves and besides reading your book Unlearn, because that's something that is learned, um, what advice would you have for him? Um, I think the first thing I'd want them to kind of think about is, you know, when we are judgmental, when we are evaluating, uh, we're not trying to understand. Uh, and the thing is, we'll never have all the context to try to understand anything beyond ourselves. So, you know, when we're judging somebody else, whether it's good or bad, we're really seeing a fraction of the whole story and then kind of filling in the blanks ourselves. And we have to be very mindful of this. Because sometimes how we judge others uh, impacts how we feel about ourselves. So if we're scrolling through social media and we're looking at somebody's carefully manufactured photos of their happiness on their vacation, it's going to make us identify gaps in our lives and be like, oh, maybe I need to be on vacation right now. 
Oh, if we see somebody with, you know, a wonderful beach body. Oh, we see somebody with their family. We really identify the gaps in our lives in relation to the people who are in front of us. And if we're continually going through social media, we'll continually find people that we're going to compare ourselves to. And then when we have this negative self-talk, I think one of the things we have to do is we have to find out the source of these voices. You know, sometimes, you know, when you were in elementary school, you know, that, that girl you had a crush on had said something, you know, she called you a show-off and you never showed off ever again, you know, for the rest of your life because it had such an impact on you. And that voice stays in your head. Don't be a show-off. Don't be a show-off. Don't put your work out there. Don't share that blog post. Don't publish that book. Don't try to sell that painting. And we have to realize that, hey, you know, something that happened to us when we were 10 years old doesn't have to stick with us for the rest of our lives. And these internal bullies were real people at once. And, you know, they might have said something that really impacted us on a level that they may not have even realized. And we've held on to it. And sometimes it's about revisiting those conversations, looking inside and really giving it a new context and being like, all right, look, I'm an adult now. What happened to me in the fifth grade no longer applies. And I have to let go of it. I have to unlearn it. And, you know, again, as I say, the premise of the book is to gain more from letting go. You know, it's not simply, you know, there's really a big culture out here, especially in North America, that we have to add, add, add to, to improve ourselves. We have to buy more things. We have to gain more friends. We have to have more followers, more subscribers, more likes, more views. And, and this chasing of more and more and more has this climbing this mountain that never has a peak. When really, we'd be happier wanting less. And the idea of unlearning... I say, Sorry? I say, I couldn't agree more. It's uh, yes. it's an insidious cycle. You know, the reality is, is that uh, you want more and then it, you basically consistently have that urge to have more and more does not bring happiness. Happiness, as you know, and you've written in the book is an inside job. And, and I want to talk to a, a concept, which is a Buddhist concept, actually, and that is, uh, Buddha said, expectation is suffering in the making. And one of the things that makes us, or I think, creates a state of unhappiness is truly this expectation that something out there um, is going to make us happy or that we have an expectation that a certain goal is going to be met and it doesn't get met that way and we get despondent or whatever. What would you tell people who are on the journey who have really high expectations for themselves and, but are on this just huge pain and suffering path? Yeah, I think the first thing I, I want to share with folks on that is to realize that unhappiness is when the picture in your head isn't matching the picture in front of you. And so often we focus on the picture in front of us. We focus on what the world is doing to us or for us. And when it's not matching the expectations we have in our heads, you know, that brings misery. And I want to remind people that you have to ask yourself, out of those two things, what do I have more control over? And we don't have as much control over the world as we do over our own expectations. And I don't want to speak in hyperbole, so I don't want to say have no expectations and you'll have no misery. I want to say manage your expectations because we're all human beings. We're all going to have expectations. You know, if you, you know, if you cook an egg, you expect it to be, you know, good to eat. It's, we all have expectations on different levels. And 
It's all about managing your expectations and being a lot more realistic and also questioning where did these expectations come from? See, for me, I had the expectation that the world would always treat me fair. And I had to really dig deep and be like, well, who promised me that? And I was like, oh, well, as a child, it's what they taught me at school. It's, you know, it's what I saw on TV. It's what I saw in the movies. It's what, you know, different religious stories told me. And I had to let go of those ideas because they were no longer helping me in the real world. And the thing is, we can expect a lot of things, but we're not really good at predicting the future. So even if we say, hey, I want a million dollars, we don't do a good job of knowing what it's going to actually feel like to get that money in our bank account. We're very bad at, you know, we can visualize, but we can't really emotionalize what these things are going to achieve for us. So we spend so much time promising ourselves, like, well, as soon as I graduate university, I'm going to be cool. As soon as I get out of debt, I'm going to be happy. As soon as my book hits the bestsellers list, I'm going to be complete. And the thing is, we're always wrong. And what I've learned in my own personal story is the only thing that exceeds expectation and feels better than I ever thought it would is when I help other people. When I make myself useful to other people and focus on being in service of other people. And again, I don't simply mean working at the soup kitchen. I mean, working on projects that bring value to other people, whether it was writing this book, whether it was spending time helping other people figure out how to get published, whether it was, you know, proofreading somebody else's writing, um, whether it was, you know, <clears throat> helping my friend, um, you know, assemble Ikea furniture, anything where I spend my time being a service to other people always ends up feeling much better than I'm, when I'm trying to do things from my own personal self. And I think we all had that story where we, we, we really aimed to, to, to achieve a goal and we did it but it didn't feel as good as we thought it would, or even if it did feel as good, that great feeling didn't last so long. I have a great friend, um, you know, she had a billboard in Times Square. We went to Times Square to celebrate and we watched the billboard for three hours. And it was a surreal, beautiful moment. How many people get to see themselves in Times Square? A few hours later, yeah, (laughs) not me either. And a few hours later, we were out to dinner celebrating with the family. And within two hours, everything went back to normal. You know, her Mm -hmm. nephews were making noise. The restaurant was getting loud. People's anxieties were going back up. And and the high of the achievement had worn off. And that's what happens when you win the Super Bowl, the Stanley Cup, win an Oscar. It's, you know, it's worth enjoying and definitely enjoy the great accomplishments that we have. But we need to stop promising ourselves into this idea of happily ever after. You know, once I retire, I'll live happily ever after. Once I win the lottery, I'll be happily ever after. You know, once I write my next book, I'll be happily ever after. There, there is no happily ever after. Life will continually be full of challenges. You know, as I well, say in the book. And, and let's face it, the, you talk about unlearn, but it's the challenges that we have in life. It's the pain and suffering that we go through to reach that goal that is our lessons. You know, we're here on this planet to have these lessons be put in front of us. And for us to learn from those lessons and for us to move forward in that way. And there's one thing that I think in society today, and I want to talk with you about a bit, you know, love and compassion, gratitude, forgiveness. But we live in a world, um, you know, humble, that's basically we've got a lot of isolation. And I do believe that. I've probably seen more loneliness out there. And I think your videos address 
this in many different ways because I was watching a few of them. What would you say to our listeners out there today that are feeling isolated, alone, uh, depressed by that, um, and are having some challenges with just making a connection? Because you and I were talking about community before we came on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, every human being needs to feel connected. You know, that is, that is a need that we all have, and that's not a need that should be judged. You know, we all, we all need to be connected. How we go about achieving that connection, you know, some, some decisions are more sustainable than others. You know, I know for me as a millennial, you know, most people now are, are turning to social media because it's very convenient and easy to feel connected to others, but you're not really making a real deep connection. It's a very uh, short, uh, convenient, fast food connection. And the thing is, what, what it is, is it gives us an opportunity to avoid being by ourselves. Uh, you know, the thing with being by yourself is it's either viewed as solitude and it's wonderful or it's viewed as loneliness and, it, and it's hell, you know, but the, the, being by yourself doesn't change. So I think one of the things that I would, I would uh, anybody who's dealing with loneliness right now is I would ask them to, hey, Let's reevaluate your relationship with yourself. If you enjoy being in your own company, you won't feel lonely. And, you know, getting to know yourself on a deeper level, spending time with yourself, uh, doing fun things by yourself. You know, these are things that will actually, on a practical level, uh, make you look forward to some more alone time. Um, The second thing is sometimes in our, our pursuit of connection, we actually isolate ourselves even more. One of, the, one of the sneakiest ways that we subconsciously uh, chase connection um, is self-pity. You know, when, when you feel sorry for yourself or when you feel like a victim, what you're actually doing is you're saying, nobody understands my pain. Nobody understands what I'm going through. You know, I, I'm all by myself. And what you're actually doing is you're creating a connection with yourself and isolating yourself from everybody else. And it's very easy to do. It's, it's, it's not expensive. It doesn't take a lot of energy or effort on your part to make it happen. And it's convenient. And that's just like fast food. Fast food is cheap, quick, easy, and convenient. But we all know if you eat too much fast food, in the long run, there's going to be consequences. And it's the same thing. If you continually isolate yourself by feeling sorry for yourself, by blaming the rest of the world, by isolating yourself from the rest of the world, you're actually going to be sinking into a deeper hole of loneliness. And that's where I encourage people, even when it feels like the world has beaten you up, even when it feels like nobody's on your side, we need to focus on taking some personal responsibility. I, I, I was a victim of fraud. I was, a, I, I was violently robbed before, actually in the city of New York. And in each of these situations, I had to remind myself, listen, people did bad things to you, but things won't get better if you focus on what they did to you. Things are going to get better when you focus on the areas of the story where you can take some responsibility and have some power. So when I was violently robbed, I had to revisit the situation and be like, well, I need to make better decisions moving forward. I shouldn't have my headphones on in the middle of the night. I shouldn't be walking through these, these isolated alleys, you know, and from the mistakes that I made, I acquired lessons, you know, and I leveled up as a person. And mm-hmm. that also helped me find power. Cause we, when we start to feel helpless, is when we feel like we're not in control. But we always, and, and we're never completely in control. Most of the time, 99% of what's happening in the universe is out of our control. But right. if we focus on taking responsibility, and I'm not saying take the blame, 
I'm saying just take responsibility because our problems, they may not be our fault, but they are our responsibility. And we need to take that responsibility to find some power to address them. Well, you know, it's what you say is true. And taking responsibility is the number one. Uh, most of my listeners know that I finished a course in um, a master's degree in spiritual psychology. And one of the first things that was one of our first lessons was taking responsibility for yourself. And I think what um, you're saying, Humble, is that, you know, it's so important for people to do that. Now, one of your videos is um, on one of your uh, chapters of your book. You call them chapters. They're only usually two pages long. Um, so I want to let my readers know there's 101 of these two-page, um, what I want to call just thoughts for the day would probably be the best way to put it. And mm-hmm. this number 11 is putting yourself first is not selfish. And I happen to be watching your video on that just prior to us coming on the air. If you would, you know, along this line, because that's what we're talking about here, um, you say selfish isn't pursuing what you want in life. It's when you're not also helping others in theirs. So you were talking about being generous. You were talking about having gratitude um, for what we've got. Um, What would you like to tell our listeners about this particular chapter? Um, I think the best analogy is when you're on an airplane and they instruct you that in a case of an emergency, put on your oxygen mask first and then help the person next to you. And I think the important idea is so often we find, you know, again, in addition to feeling connection, all humans need to feel a level of significance. And sometimes we feel significance by being martyrs, you know, by putting everybody else's needs in front of ours. And that actually makes us feel special. Like, oh, so many people need me. I don't have any time for myself. I have to do all these things for other people. I'm always there for other people to hear their problems. I'm always there with the, to be a shoulder to lean on. Um, but nobody's there for me. And what I encourage people to do is you have to put yourself first because if you don't put yourself first and you don't get yourself to your optimal situation, then you won't be of value to anybody else. And so often we've all been raised with some level of guilt and shame of when we put ourselves first, we're called selfish. But the reality is it's not selfish to put yourself first. It's selfish to expect other people to put you first. And it is selfish of other people to assume that you should put them first. And what needs to happen is we all need to fill up our cup and share what spills over with others. You know, if we become our own source of love, then we can give out love freely instead of creating these contracts where I say, I love you only if you love me. Instead, it needs to be, I have, you know, I have created such a source of love within myself that I I have no choice but to share it with all those around me without any expectations of it coming back. Because so often we treat love like a loan instead of a gift. And being selfish it, it has construed in this message. And again, I'm not telling people who have children to, you know, ignore your children and, and don't do your responsibilities as an adult and a parent. I'm saying, listen, if you have to say no to certain social commitments because you need to get your mind right and you need to spend time alone, say no. And anybody who, who decides to make you feel bad about these decisions, they may not be healthy for you in, in the long run. And I, even that includes family. So for me, I really encourage people to put themselves first, um, not in the, in the name of greed, but in the name of self-preservation. And it's, you know, fill up your cup. And if you're not taking care of yourself, you're going to be of no use to other people. 
that's uh, it's such an important element to this. Now, one of the things that's a, a topic in the book is, and I want to address it, is our own mortality, death, um, dying. Um, and I think that uh, we know that we're impermanent, but we have a lapse of memory. You know, I think the more, uh, look, I'm not a young man anymore. I'm almost 65 years old. So I really can relate to this. And I think what's important is that the impermanence that we have here on the planet, really all we really want is to be loved and to love um, and to leave the world a better place, or that should be our goal. What do you want to tell listeners about the gift that we have every day of life and how to use that and why is that so important? Um, I think the most important part of, of the life that we have um, that we're not really designed to remember is that life's going to come to an end. You know, we, we are, we are an hourglass and we don't know how many grains of sand are, are left to fall. And a lot of people want to, to you know, to forget this fact because it's uncomfortable. But the, the, the reality is, is also the most liberating idea we have is that at one point, you know, we're going to run out of sand. We're going to run out of time. So let's make the most of the time we have here. And I mean, obviously, depending on different people's religious beliefs, they're going to have different ideas about what happens after you die. But I think nobody's debating the fact that we will die. So for me, I, I view mortality, especially when I, when I encounter fear. Mortality really helps me deal with fear, um, you know, even in the process of promoting this book, you know, having to challenge my Canadian sensibilities. You know, I wasn't the most assertive person. You know, I wasn't reaching out to get the opportunities and to get people to open up the book. And I had to remind myself, like, look, you know, when, when it's your last day on this planet and you look back at this moment, are you, are you going to regret bothering people by sending too many text messages? Or are you going to regret not giving your all to get this message out there? You know, I really believe in this book. And, uh, you know, I wrote it to be very easy and I made it so accessible where you can open it to any page and find something you connect with. And I've realized that it's my responsibility. It's not just a privilege of mine. It's a responsibility of mine to get it out there. And rem reminding myself regularly that any day could be my last day really helps me move forward and overcome or move despite the fears that I may have, um, whether the fears are social, whether they be even with my career. And you can say, look, we're all going to be dead one day. Let's stop being afraid of being embarrassed. Let's all, be, let's all stop being afraid of failure. Let's all you know, stop being afraid of, you know, uh, financial collapse. You know, I've encountered all of those things and I'm still here to talk about it. So that lets me know my resilience as a human being. And death is a gift that reminds us of this because it, it'll also get us going. Sometimes we sit around assuming we're going to be here forever. And a really good friend of mine once said, our problems are only real because we forget we're going to die. You know, the moment we remember that our days are numbered, most of our problems just turn into dilemmas and we can move forward with much more freedom. So well said. And I think it resonates with all of my listeners on that. And, you know, let's take a minute to talk about beliefs. You addressed it a little bit when we were talking before. But I think that these beliefs, I write in my own book that um, – there's a difference between a truth and a belief for a person, right? And it can be either a little T or a big T. Uh, 
Um, a big T is something that you're totally committed to and a belief, beliefs change over time, right? You have a belief about something, something comes along, you hear it, you decide to change that belief. My example that I used is global warming, right? Um, when Al Gore first started talking about global warming, nobody was paying attention uh, to him very much at all. Um, now the world stage is talking about global warming, but that's a belief we had. Um, talk with us, if you would, about creating knowings in our life and truths in our life versus just walking around with a set of beliefs. Yes, um, I definitely want to let your, your listeners know that it's never going to be a black and white conversation. You know, there definitely are, you know, absolute truths, truths that are facts that can be tested through the scientific model uh, and the scientific method. But there's also personal truths, you know, personal truths for me, you know, if, me saying that, you know, my, my mother is the sweetest lady in the world. You know, these are my personal truths and, and, and they mean something to me. Um, I think with belief, beliefs end up becoming very strongly held opinions that we start to believe as fact, whether they're religious beliefs, whether they're philosophical beliefs, whether they're cultural beliefs. And, you know, in, in the book, I say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to mess with your belief because the, the, the danger is when we start to take our beliefs and then we take our identity and our self-worth and we plant them in those beliefs. And now all of a sudden, if anybody decides to criticize the belief or if they decide to question the belief, we feel like they're criticizing us or questioning us. And I mean, we can see that right now with our current political landscape where, you know, it doesn't matter what team you're on. If you say something negative about the other team they take it, you know, extremely personal and then they dig in even deeper into their position, thus further dividing us. And what I want people to understand is like, you're not your beliefs. Many of the beliefs that we have, you know, we didn't even choose them. You know, they were passed down to us, you know, as children, you know, we were, we were given these beliefs in school. We were given these beliefs to media. Our parents gave us these beliefs, uh, you know, various uh, religious organizations gave us these beliefs. And I'm encouraging people to take, to take a look at some of those most strongly held beliefs they have and see if they can be open to living a life without them. And, and that was a game changer for me when I realized I was holding certain beliefs that I gave nobody an opportunity to change. I provided no opportunity where they could be disproven, something could be said to make me think any other way. And that really made me realize that I was actually being very closed-minded. And when you're closed-minded, you're closing yourself off to a lot of education and beautiful experiences in life. So I encourage everybody to take a, an inventory of their beliefs and understand that it's okay to let go of certain beliefs. Certain beliefs may have served a purpose once in our lives, but you know, for where we are now and where we're headed, they may be simply holding us back. Well, and it is time for not only individuals to question that. And I think the, the key here is you're asking people to question it. You're saying, mm -hmm. hey, look at the current beliefs that you hold. Are they serving you? You know, mm -hmm. is that particular belief that you have uh, grown up with, which is what you mentioned earlier, continuing to serve you? Or is that something that you need to let go of? And if you let mm -hmm. go of it, um, you know, are you really going to, you know, blossom into being somebody different? And in most cases, I think you would agree um, that you will. 
Um, and the, it isn't just about letting it go. It's about how do I let it go? And if you were to kind of wrap this interview up with me and you were to give people your own personal experiences, because you've got 101 of them in this book that people can read, plus they can go to your website, they can watch your videos. Would, would you give them a little bit of advice on their how and why they would want to do that? Yes, 1,000%. I think nobody wants to, to feel, I think for us to feel alive, we have to be growing. And, you know, that's kind of a, a, a simple, a simplistic way to describe it. All things that are, are living are growing in some capacity. And, and mentally and spiritually, for us to grow, you know, we need to be able to, you know, learn, unlearn, and relearn different things. So for me, you know, the, the, the big way that I was able to do this is by being around people who, who didn't share my beliefs and, and being able to have civil conversations. You know, I always encourage people who don't like Trump to go find somebody who does and have a civil conversation. And you're going to realize that you guys have 99% of things in common. You both will still love your family. You both want safety and security for those you care about. You both probably think Muhammad Ali was an awesome athlete. There's a million things that you guys all have in common. And I think building these bridges instead of isolating ourselves from people who think differently from us uh, is, is the first step. Um, I think also recognizing when we're not open to new ideas, that that's a dangerous place to be. And it doesn't matter what the ideas are. You know, we have to be open to any ideas, whether they have to do with, you know, our religious beliefs, whether they have to do with our favorite sports teams, our favorite flavor of ice cream, um, our beliefs when it comes to roles within the genders, uh, our beliefs when it comes to who can love who, and our beliefs when it comes to economics, how we should be spending our money, how we should be saving our money. If we decide, hey, there's only one way to do it and there's no other way to do it, that's a quick sign that we might be closing ourselves off to a lot of things. You know, growth exists outside of our comfort zone. So we need to explore life in places that scare us the most. And we need to be around people that potentially scare us the most and, and give us that opportunity. It's very easy now, especially with social media, to build an echo chamber and being in communities where everybody agrees with us and everybody thinks the exact same way as we do. But that's not helping us. That's actually harming us. You know, friction is what, you know, polishes a rock. You know, pressure is what makes a diamond. You know, if, if, if we're going to the gym and we're not feeling any resistance and, any, and our heart rate isn't going up, then we didn't have a very effective day at the gym. So I really encourage people to get uncomfortable, go out, explore, go to different parts of the world. You know, my father was a cab driver when he came to Canada. And, you know, he had opinions of different types of people because of his experience as a cab driver. And I said, listen, just because a couple of people you know, ran the fair from you. That doesn't mean all these people are a certain way. And we actually took a trip. Uh, we took a trip. We've taken trips to different parts of the world. And it's really opened his mind. And my father is turning 69 this year. And a lot of people, would, when describing their parents, are like, oh, you know, people can't change after a certain age. And I completely disagree. I was taught that there is no generation gap. There are people who are open to new ideas and people who are not open to new ideas. And there are people in their 20s who are not open to new ideas. It's all about remaining open to new things. And if it scares you, lean into it. If it's uncomfortable, lean into it. You know, this is what life is. When we were children, this is how we learned so much. 
You know, our parents put us in school and we had all these new experiences. And as adults, we have the luxury to kind of hide and isolate ourselves from all of this. And, and, and this is not how it should be. I, I look forward for the rest of my life having my biases and my beliefs challenged. And I get excited at the idea that who I am today, you know, may not be who I am 20 years from now. And I'll mm-hmm. be grateful for the lessons I learned now, but I'm excited at the fact that I'm an, I am malleable. I, am, I can be molded and changed. And I am open to ideas that agree with me internally. And I'm also very mindful and aware of how many of these ideas were planted into me, you know, as a child. And, and, and taking that personal inventory and being like, hey, as an adult, are these ideas still relevant? Are these ideas going to help me with my future? And letting go of the ones that don't. And, and, and this is the premise of Unlearn. Unlearn isn't to give people the answers and tell people how to live. It's to encourage people to ask more questions. And yep, Unlearn just like, may... Just like Buddha said, you know, don't uh, take anything at face value. Ask questions. It has to resonate with you. And mm-hmm. I think that is what you're basically telling people here is this book is a book about questioning. Um, yes, while there's 101 simple truths here for a better life, the questioners are all these truths for you. And I think if you, you know, if everyone would go out and get Ken War's book um, and just open it up and go to his website, which is the, it's just humblethepoet.com. H-U-M-B-L-E-T-H-E-P-O-E-T.com. We'll have a link on our blog as well to that. And get his book. Um, Kenwar, it's been a pleasure having you in. I know that I'm probably messing up your first name again, but the reality is it's for my listeners, it's K-A-N-W-E-R, last name S-I-N-G-H, also known as Humble the Poet. Um, and and that's exactly why I use Humble the Poet. Even on the book, the book actually, my author name on the book is Humble the Poet. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely understand. It's a lot easier to remember. So even when you're looking for the book, it's Unlearned uh, by Humble the Poet. And it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere, as well as my website. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. They can open this book up to any page. It's a very easy read. Every, every chapter is only two pages. You don't have to read it in order. You know, I used to be a school teacher. So accessibility and, and, and making this as uh, seamless of the process as possible was my priority. So I wrote this so anybody can understand it. Um, right now is a great gift to give to people for graduation. Uh, it's also a fantastic Mother's Day gift. It's, it's just been uh, connecting with people on so many different levels, and I've been so excited to share it with people. Well, we appreciate you having on having you on Inside Personal Growth and sharing it with our community of listeners who I'm sure will go out and get the book. And we'll put links to it at Amazon. Uh, we'll also have links to the website. And uh, thank you so much for being on with us today and sharing uh, insights from your book on Learn, Humble the Poet, 101 Simple Truths for a Better Life. Thanks so much for being thank- on. Thank you for having me. This podcast is brought to you by John Christensen, the author of a new book entitled The Wealth Creator's Playbook. Please listen to podcast number 712, where John and Greg discuss his new book and his perspectives on wealth creation while creating a return on life and money. 
John has a very innovative approach to wealth creation, which takes into account not only our money concerns, but our life portfolio, which includes vocational, social, experiential, psychological, intellectual, and spiritual capitals. John believes in living fully, and while this means different things to different people, we are looking for fulfillment in our life both financially, through our life's work, and the contribution we make to the world. Please listen to this engaging interview with author John Christensen on podcast number 712. You are certain to take away a new perspective on how to live your life and the creation of your personal wealth. Thanks for listening.